All good things must come to an end, and here we find ourselves at the end of our study. We've been going through the Ten Commandments, and I think it would be helpful to do a quick recap for those who have missed uh, Law Keeping 101, our class that we've been having over the last couple weeks here. So the Ten Commandments are really split up into two sections. The first four commandments deal with our duty to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And the last set of the six deal with our duty to love our neighbors as ourselves. These are the two great commandments of which Jesus Christ says hang all the law and the prophets. So if you want to split the Ten Commandments up, first four there, last six there. As God's covenant people, we shall have no other gods before us. We shall not make or worship false idols. We shall not misuse God's name and we shall honor his Sabbath day of rest. We should value and honor our parents, those placed in authority over us. We shall not kill or harm others. Instead, we should cherish fellow image bearers. We shall not commit adultery or take what isn't ours. And finally, coming to today's text, the last two, this is Exodus 20, 16 through 17. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, like I said, if you've been following along in class, right, you have your report cards. I want you to all pull out your, pull out your report cards here, your covenant keeping. How, how have we all been doing, class? On, on the first eight, are we keeping those perfectly? My report card says F. Now, some of you who have been walking with the Lord for a longer time, you're, you're a little more sanctified. You get an F+. Plus, all right? so, you, so feel good about yourself, right? We all are getting Fs on our report cards. So I'm sorry to tell you, if you walked in here today and you thought you were going to be justified based on your grade and that your goodness would be good enough, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you it's not. Your goodness is never good enough. Why is that? Because it's just good. It's not perfect. And the law demands perfection. In fact, as I was discussing this sermon with my wife in the car the other day, my son, you know, I love him so much, four-year-old, just pop, says whatever, he, you know, he pops in his head. And I'm talking about don't lie. And he says, Daddy, what sort of sins do you have? You know, I'm like, okay, all right. Well, son, Daddy has a lot of sins. I have a lot of sins, you know. And I, well, well, Daddy, like what? What do you say? Okay, you know, all right, well, um, you know, I get angry at times, I don't always think nice things, and, you know, my son's in shock at this, you know, and he says something like, is that true, Daddy? And I say, oh, baby, Daddy would never lie. <laughs> Daddy would never lie, and I look at my wife, and in that moment I say, except for right then, that was a lie, I do lie, I'm sorry, I, I had to immediately repent. Because that's, that's what we all do, that's my heart, I, my, my goodness, I hold on to it, I'm, ah. I never lie. Well, actually, I do. I, I do lie. My poor son. The problem before us, then, with the last two commandments is the same problem we face with the prior eight. We are sinful, disobedient, utterly bankrupt based on our goodness before God. We cannot follow his commandments. Apart from our faith in Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. So, however, as spirit-empowered believers, we have tons and I'm talking heaps upon heaps of hope today. So as we close out the Ten Commandments, as we look at the last two, I want us to see what can be done as we seek to follow Christ 
and obey him as we follow the nine and ten commandments. Let me pray really quick and then we'll, we'll get, jump right into it. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are sinful. Our tongues are wicked. What can be done? Well, thanks be to your son, Jesus Christ, that he has fulfilled the law perfectly, that he has imputed his righteousness to us. So now we can read the Ten Commandments and what formerly brought death, what formerly was a curse upon all of us, now brings life. And now the works that you have laid out beforehand for us to do, Lord, now we can do those with joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts to see you clearly today and rejoice at what you have accomplished on the cross in our place. Let's pray. Uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. First, somebody told it. Then the room couldn't hold it. So the busy, busy tongues rolled it till they got it outside. Then the crowd came across it and never once lost it, but tossed it and tossed it till it grew long and wide. The lie brought forth others, dark sisters and brothers and fathers and mothers, a terrible crew. And while headlong they hurried, the people they flurried and troubled and worried as lies always do. And so evil-bodied, this monster lay goaded till at last it exploded in smoke and in shame. Then from mud and from mire, the pieces flew higher and hit the sad victim and killed a good name. Is anyone here a fan of VeggieTales? That's not from VeggieTales, but it correlates with what I'm going to talk about. You know VeggieTales with the cucumber and Bob the tomato, and this one's for the kids, so kids listen up, all right? Well, I love VeggieTales. My son loves VeggieTales, and each story in VeggieTales will, will take place, you know, somewhere in the Bible, and, you know, Josh and the big wall is, they're throwing smoothies, little slushies at the, you know, as they march around. So it's a little, little different than the actual story, right? Well, there's a story that I grew up listening to, a poignant story about Larry the Cucumber, and he was Larry Boy. That's his alter ego. He's a superhero. And there was a fib from outer space. Now, little Junior Asparagus had broken his father's collectible Art Bugatti bowling plate. Any of you guys collect those collectible plates, right? Well, he broke it. And his dad said, what have you, Junior, what have you done? I didn't do it. And Junior starts this fib. This lie, he blames this other girl and he comes up with this, this crazy story that eventually morphs and grows until the fib from outer space is as big as a skyscraper. And it's taking over the city. And nothing can be done. Nobody can stop this lie because it has gone out of control. Finally, Larry Boy comes to the solution. He realizes that only the person who started the lie can stop the lie. And Junior Asparagus says, I did it. I broke the Art Bugatti limited edition bowling plate. And the lie starts to shrink as he confesses his sins. And eventually the lie is destroyed. Now that is utterly ridiculous. That is beyond silly. But I want you to, to know why I brought it up is because that came out in 1997. And it has lodged in the back of my brain <laughs> since that time. Because the Bible already told me that truth that I shouldn't lie. My parents reinforced that truth that I shouldn't lie. But it took something as foolish and stupid as a cucumber, a talking cucumber, for God to impress that upon my heart. And I said, oh, that's what that looks like. That's what a lie can do. When you let it fester and grow, it can destroy names. Well, all truth is God's truth. And even truth told through a foolish mechanism like VeggieTales 
can really impact our kids' lives, can impact our own lives. Well, here directly from God's word is his truth. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, the context of this is here in a courtroom. The neighbor has committed some sort of crime, and maybe you don't like your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor's very loud, and they throw parties late at night, or their dog barks nonstop. Please stop the dog barking, right? And so you get called in as a witness, and maybe it's, not, maybe it's a small crime, but maybe, maybe this is your moment to get your justice for the dog barking. So you just stretch the truth a little bit. You just bend the truth a little bit. That will teach that neighbor a lesson. Finally, that noise ordinance, finally that will get the justice they deserve. Well, this is why under the Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy 19.15, God says that one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see, God knew that we wouldn't love our neighbors. He knew that we would lie due to our sinful hearts. Nowadays, we can use DNA evidence or surveillance camera footage. All these things can be used as witnesses to testify to the truth. You see, God takes truth very seriously. So serious, in fact, that Jesus himself calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? These are rhetorical questions because the answer is no. Of course God does not lie. He cannot change. He's not a human like us. We all lie, but God's not like that. When God speaks, it's always the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, his yes is yes, his no is no. He does not go back on his word, and that which he seeks to accomplish, he says, I will always accomplish. On the flip side of this, I want you to see in John eight forty four, Jesus speaks of the devil as the father of lies. If God is the father of truth, then the devil comes as the father of lies. Jesus says when he speaks, he speaks a lie because that's his native language. That's all he knows how to do. Whereas all those who are truth-tellers, children of the God of truth, should be truth-tellers. And so just like God, our, our yes should be yes. Our no should be no. When we say we're going to do something, we should do it. When we say we're not going to do something, we should not do it. If you claim the name of Christ, if you claim that name Christian, then you should be known for your truth, love, and beauty in all things. Well, here are some fun statistics. Did you know that most people lie an average of four times a day? That's 1,460 lies every year. A man can lie twice as much as a woman in a single day, men, and 12% of adults admit to telling a lie often or sometimes. 31% of people admit to lying on their resumes. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone here? 13% of patients lie to their doctors, 30% lie about their diet and exercise regimens, and 70% of the liars said they would lie again. 70% are like, yeah, I'd totally do that, I'd totally lie again. Of course, these percentages don't account for the people who lied while taking the poll. If we took a poll in the room, I wonder what we'd come up with. 
That's if we were all telling the truth. Here are some reasons why I personally lie. And I hope, I hope some of you can relate with me so it's not just me, right? I lie to save face. I lie to save face. I want to remain, maintain respect. I want to avoid humiliation. I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm cool. All right, I used to have a friend who would, wanted people to like him so much that he would pretend like he knew every band that ever was. And we'd say, oh, have you heard of this band? Oh, my word, I, I love that band. So we started making up bands. Have, have you heard of Lion's Mane? Oh, my word, Lion's Mane? Can you name a song? Crickets, right? And we'd catch him in this lie, and bless his heart, he just wanted to fit in. He just wanted us to like him, and he thought, if I would just lie, if I just lie, they would like me. I would save face. The second reason I lie is I lie to shift blame. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't like to get in trouble. I don't like the way it feels. So what's the harm in blaming the dog? You know, I have two kids. Maybe one of my kids knocked it over. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe they ate the leftovers. I mean, I didn't want to say this, but have you heard about what so-and-so did? Like we all do this. We shift the blame. The third thing I do is I lie to avoid confrontation. I want you to picture this. I'm in college. A girl comes up to me. Maybe I like her. She comes up to me and she says, Hey, Heath, do you like my hair? Do you like my new dress? Now, what am I going to do in this situation? I love it. I don't like it. I love it. It doesn't matter if I really love it. I just love it. I do. Now, part of that is I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't want to hurt her feelings. It's better that I lie to her than I hurt her feelings. Instead, I could say, man, that looks good on you. You rock that. Right? And that could be true. It could be true. Instead of simply being honest, we bend and stretch the truth till we kill it. Because it's harder to tell the truth. The first thing I do is I lie to get my way. I don't want to do the dishes. I don't want to take the trash out. So I say something like, I forgot. I forgot. Now sometimes, wives, it's absolutely true. We do forget, okay? It is true. I do forget. Some of the time, it's not true, and I'm lying about it. I lie to get my way. And finally, I lie to myself. I lie to myself and I lie to God. I tell myself that it's okay that all these little lies are just building up. It's okay that I hold in the truth. I lie to God as if it were possible to trick him, as if he doesn't know the truth already. I lie to myself because if I had to face the truth of certain situations, it might hurt. And I want to avoid that hurt. We all want the truth, but when it comes time for the truth, we can't handle the truth. We can't handle it. Now the problem here is my sinful heart loves darkness. And hopefully as I went through just a small list of the ways in which I lie and which people lie, I hope some of you could relate with me. Because our hearts love darkness, they hate the light. I don't want my evil deeds exposed, so I want to kill the truth, I want to bury it, and I want to cover it up with my lies. I listed some of those ways, but I want to move now to practical gospel solutions to our lying problem. How do, we, how do we get out of it? How do we unbury the truth and set it free? 
in our lives? Well, the first thing we should do is to seek to promote the truth over lies. When we catch ourselves telling something, you know, telling a little white lie or telling some small lie, let's, let's stop it and be quick to repent. You know, my son, I'm so sorry. You know, daddy, daddy does tell lies. Daddy does lie. I'm not perfect. Right? Wife, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I wasn't really tired. I wasn't really tired. I, I didn't really forget. I, I just didn't want to do it. And now I'm going to get up and do it. Would you forgive me? We have to be quick to let the truth out. Seek forgiveness from your neighbor, your boss, your friends. Come clean. Seek forgiveness from God for all the lies that you've told. Let the sun set you free. It may hurt. It may cost a job. It may hurt your reputation. But it will set you free. To unmask and to be yourself will set you utterly free. Second thing is stand up for the truth. I think it's so comical in today's age that we are, we are inundated with fake news, right? Everyone's so scared of fake news. And Facebook and Google and all these social media giants are saying we have to stop the falsehoods. We have to stop the lies. And then, and then they stand before you like Pontius Pilate and they go, well, what is truth to begin with? And it's because they're utterly divorced from the only thing that is true. They have, they, have, they have abandoned all the standard, the only standard of truth, and they're trying to figure out what is true without looking at God's word. Now, Christians, we have the monopoly on truth. We have the monopoly on truth. We can give that truth out to the world. We can hold the f- Facebook and social media and, and the news and newspapers and everything. We hold it up to the lens of Scripture. And we say, is that true? Is that really true? You know that was the first lie in the garden. Satan said, is that true? Is that really true? Is that really what God said? And now Christians, we can flip that and say, no, no, that is true. That is what God said. No, no, that's not true. That's not what God said. We have the standard of truth and we need it to guide our paths. The third thing we must do, and this is very difficult, we must avoid gossip and slander. We should be quick to extend charity. We, we should be quick to assume a good report over a bad report, especially from Christian brothers and sisters. When we hear gossip, when we hear slander, we shouldn't jump on it and go, oh, that, I knew it. I just knew it. If there's no proof, we should say, well, let, let's wait till all the truth comes out, right? We're innocent until proven guilty. At least that's what it used to be. The devil loves it when Christians gossip about each other. He loves it when the family of God fights amongst each other. Finally, we must speak truth in love. Did you know there's such a thing as speaking the true truth in an unseasonable fashion? Here's what I mean by that. The day after Hurricane Michael, you go to your next door neighbor. Their house is utterly destroyed. And you look at them and you say, you know what? This is all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's plan. Don't worry. Do not worry. God's got this all figured out. Now that is true. That is so true. And it will help them later on. But in that moment, they need you to weep with them. In that moment, they need you, like, you know, Job's friends come to him. And they speak these true truths. Some of them true. Some of them are falsehoods. But, but Job is suffering. 
And so there is something like a true truth that can be spoken in unseasonable fashion. Time heals wounds, and time also shows the truth to be true. And so there's a perfect time for telling the truth to that person in love, and you need to pray about that. I'm not saying lie to them. I'm saying keep your mouth shut and wait for God to move and tell you when to tell the truth to them because they need to hear that. Well, so at this point you could say, okay, so what? So what? You know, I, I don't lie that often. I have an F plus on my report card. What's, the, you know, what's a little lie? What's it going to hurt? Trevin Wax, who's a writer for the Gospel Coalition, he says this. He says, Jesus died because of a lie. Oh yes, he died because people lied about him and falsely accused him. But he died also because of a lie that first took root in the Garden of Eden. When the truth dies at the hands of the lie, the lie is killed and the truth rises again. And when we crucify our lying tongues, the sweetness of truth will rise from our being. You see, it's no wonder that the book of James focuses on this for such a long time. And he talks about the taming of the tongue and how the tongue is this this tiny little member of our body and yet it's like a rudder and it steers the whole boat. It's this tiny little member and yet it can set our whole bodies aflame with sin. I often say you could remove remove the word tongue and replace it with keyboard for our our standard time and you could read it as the the keyboard is a, a form of all evil. Right? Whatever we use to slander, whatever we use to gossip, is full of deadly poison. But James says in James 3.8, no human being can tame the tongue. He says it's a restless evil. So if we can't tame it, how do we master it? Did you catch the part, what Trevin Wax said there at the end? He said this, he said, when we crucify our lying tongues, the sweetness of truth will rise from our being. You see, because no human being can tame the tongue, we have to put it down. We have to put it down as a wild beast. It must be crucified. It must be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And out of the ashes of that lying, adulterous, sinful, hateful tongue will rise something beautiful. When we look to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, who imputed that righteousness to us, his perfect record to us through faith alone. His work is pressed to our tongues like a burning coal. Pressed to our tongues like a burning coal. He sets us free. He sets us straight by setting us free. We are free to now love God, love others. And since love rejoices with the truth, that's 1 Corinthians 3, I mean 13, 6. The Holy Spirit now brings the truth of the gospel to bear upon our lives. You'll remember Luke 6, 45, Jesus says this. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Our tongues are speaking what our hearts are pumping out. And that's why we need new hearts. We need clean hearts. We need hearts turned from stone to flesh. There's a pastor named Jared Wilson. He puts it this way. He says, The gospel calls us to a better way. When we orient ourselves around the finished work of Christ, we are compelled to bear true witness about God. We say, look how wonderful and satisfying he is. 
And when we find Christ supremely valuable and fulfilling, the desire to cut our neighbor down disappears. When we replace wickedness with love for Christ, it pours out of our hearts, off our tongues, till we love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we seek to honor Christ and obey the ninth commandment, I want to replace these lies with the words of truth of heaven. We need to replace the lies that the devil told us, that the the world tells us, with the truth that God loves us, that he's forgiven us of our sins, and that he's going to give us a new heart. May the Lord forgive us all the lies I tell, all the lies we tell, and give us hearts that love truth. Moving on very quickly to the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That word covet is an odd one, isn't it? Covet. It simply means this. It means to yearn, to possess, or have something. Now this something could be your neighbor's house. It could be your neighbor's ox. It could be a desire or a wish to have Jesse's girl. It could be anything. Anything that doesn't belong to you, you covet, you want it, you desire it. At its core, the 10th commandment is about replacing the wrong desire with a correct desire. We are to desire Christ. We are to desire the glory of God. We are to desire heaven over the things of the earth. There and there alone will we find happiness. And yet, we don't always desire those things, do we? We don't. And so that's our trouble when it comes to following the 10th commandment. I I titled the sermon, The Lie of the Greener Grass, because I think in America, these are the the last two commandments are really the ones that are uniquely difficult to us as Americans. Whereas in other parts of the world, maybe something else, maybe it's a different commandment, but these two are uniquely difficult for us. We're daily faced with the lie that we need the new iPhone. We need the newest car. We need the newest tech. We need the newest, trendiest fashions. If, if It's my money and I need it now. Our friends have this. I need it as well. Bob's wife looks like that. Why does my wife not look like that? Why are the Joneses going on another trip? Must be nice to have money and time to go on another trip. I roll Right? We always think this is back of our mind. Why, why, why can't we just keep up with those people? We're constantly being told that the grass is just a little greener. Just a little bit greener. And if we would just be happier if we just had that stuff. I, I, thought, I always thought it was funny in myths and in legends, if you're a fan of like Tolkien, right? I always thought it was funny that these dragons, these glorious dragons are such hoarders of stuff. Okay, in the book of the Hobbit, the, the smog, the dragon there, he has this hoard, this treasure hoard of gold. And I sit there and I think, what is he going to spend it on? What's a dragon need? A dragon has wings, it can fly about, and yet they choose caves and these dark, damp castles, and they just want to rest in peace and sit on their gold and retire as dragons. What a silly thing. But, but it's really not too far off from us as humans, Right? It reminds me of the parable of the rich fool. You'll remember the story. A man calls out to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother he has to share the inheritance with me. Would you tell him that? And Jesus says, No, I'm not going to tell him that. I'm not your judge about your your inheritance. Why, Why would I do that? He says this. He says, Watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he goes on and he tells a story about a rich man who had a great crop. And the rich man is so happy with this crop. And he says, I'm going to store up this crop. I'm going to retire in peace. I'm going to be fat and happy. And I'm going to eat, sleep, drink, and be merry. He lived happily ever after. No. No. Verse 20. God said that to him, you fool. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, the dragon in the story loses everything. He loses all that he treasured up. John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire on record, and during his lifetime, he was likely the richest man in history. There was a reporter who asked him, how much is enough? How much money is enough? And he said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. That's what we do. We chase after just one more dollar. That will make me happy. Just one more thing. One more thing will make me happy. Well, how do we, how do we avoid the perils of the rich fool of men like Rockefeller? How do we find contentment in what we have and put off covetousness? Well, first, we need to ask God for mercy and forgiveness. We need to ask him for forgiveness for our discontentment with the things he's given us. God knows what we want. <laughs> He knows what we need, and he's a good, loving father who always gives us exactly what we need, not always what we want. In the words of the great philosopher Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well, you just might find you get what you need. And that's, that's the truth of the Christian life. We, we may not always get what we want. Sometimes we do. It's not wrong to have wants. But we always get what we need. We always get what we need. Secondly, we need to count the blessings God has already given us. There's a a story uh, from this American Baptist pastor named Russell Conwell. He tells the story of an ancient Persian named Ali Hafed, who owned a very large farm that had orchards and grain fields and gardens. He was wealthy among men. Well, he talked with a wise man from the east, and he said, you know what you need? You need diamonds. You need diamonds. You need to search out for diamonds. And he said, you're right. I do need diamonds. Well, Ali Hafed searched far and wide, craving a mine full of diamonds and precious jewels until one day he committed suicide, broken, penniless, and poor. A man bought his land, bought his farm, and one day when his camel was drinking from the river, he pulled out a large, glittering, glistening stone from the banks. What that man found was the diamond mine of Golconda, which is one of the most magnificent mines in all of history on Ali Hafed's land, in his own backyard. So the question is, have you checked your backyards lately? (laughs) I, I tuck two little diamonds in bed every night. I woke up to a climate controlled house with the smell of coffee in a nice comfy bed. But even if you took all that away, I still have Jesus Christ. Even if you took everything away that I had, I still have Jesus Christ. And so we should be the most content of men, just like Paul, Philippians 4, 11, 13, what Ron said. He said, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If, we, if all we have at the end of the day is Jesus Christ, then we are the richest of individuals. Thirdly, we should give stuff away. Now, you know your own heart. You know if you deal with covetousness in your heart. So I want to tell you, you need to give stuff away. Rip it off like a Band-Aid. Purge the house. Don't hoard up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Do you constantly struggle with discontentment? Go down and work in a soup kitchen. Go to a third world country and volunteer. I want you to see how blessed you truly are. Because when you're faced with real poverty, when you're faced with real suffering, you will say, Lord, how foolish I was to think that I didn't have enough. How foolish I was to think that that would bring me happiness. The way, personally, I fight covetousness is by tithing. I like money. I often tell people I have a little Zacchaeus in my heart. And every once in a while, I have to bring him to Jesus and go, all right, let's give, you know, let's give some stuff. <laughs> okay. And then he comes back, and he's like, ooh, you know, and he hoards his money. Now, when churches started switching to e-giving, which we have e-giving at our church, I initially switched over, and I thought, this will be great. I won't have to think about my tithing. And for a couple of weeks, it was great. I did not have to think about my tithing, and that was the problem. The problem for me personally was because I, when I drop that money or that, that check into the, the you know, little thing, it hurts. It's almost like, you know, put the money down. Heath, drop the check. Put the money, you know, sir, put the money down. I have to let go of it, and I have to go, okay, God, all right, all right. God's going to use that. Okay, all right. I don't need it. God's going to provide. What, okay. It's an act of worship for me to put the money down. And so I stopped you giving because that's, that, that's how my worship affects my heart. That's how God sanctifies my sinful, money-loving, grubbing little Zacchaeus in my heart by giving it away. So I want you to give till it hurts a little or a lot, whatever you got to do. Fourthly, finally, rejoice with those who have more than you. What if it's taken you years? What if it's taken you years to get pregnant? And the next door neighbor's on their seventh child. Can you rejoice with them? What if you just got your car out of the shop and your boss just got his off the lot? Can you rejoice with him? Can you rejoice with those who have been given much? Can you rejoice with them and thank God that you have a car at all? These are small actions that we can take on the road to obedience. And really, it's just following the model of our master. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He became poor so that we might become rich. And now he sets that as a model example of how we should walk, how we should live our lives, that we might become poor so that others could become rich so that others might have grace and mercy and peace and abundance as we celebrate what God is doing in their lives. I want to close this out, and I want us to pull out our Law Keeping 101, our report cards one more time. I want you to look at it. I just want to remind you, there it is, A+. Now, wait a second, A+. Plus. Hold on a second. They don't even give pluses on A's. There's something's wrong here, right? A+, plus. it said F before. What do you guys have? Hold on, hold on. There's a little note here. There's a little note that says, read Romans 8, 1 through 5. 
There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That F has been changed to an A. Jesus has exchanged His righteousness, His perfect law-keeping for all of our unrighteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous, just as if we'd never sinned. He took all our deadly doing. He took all our treadmill of works. He took all of that and he exchanged it with his perfect obedience. And so all of our failing grades have been nailed to the cross. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, A's all around But if you do not know this Savior, this blessed Jesus, then the full curse of the law, the the shadow of Mount Sinai is hanging over your head, waiting to crush you. Instead, if you would look to the one who was crushed in our place, the one who became a curse for us in our place, he stands. He stands waiting to receive you. Would you surrender your life to him today.